Hi, Daphne. How are you going? I'm good. How are you? I'm talking over Zoom with Chris Salisbury, professor of political science at the University of Queensland in Australia. An unexpected consequence of you know, what was seen as advances in our respective societies, that more women were, were becoming educated, having the kind of freedom to pursue careers uh, and not be confined to that kind of nuclear family model that dominated for so long. Since the 1970s, we've heard a lot about overpopulation, a lack of resources and global warming. But some countries, including Australia, France, Iran, Israel, Italy, Japan, and 49 others, have policies in place with the intent of growing their population numbers. Some politicians worry that a dwindling population means that they won't have enough working age people to support the number of elderly, while other countries are simply trying to grow their economic, military, and political power. And yet, yeah, governments are still not entirely sure about how to provide a, a equalized policy response because it, it has meant that fertility rates have, have, have dropped and continue to do so. Australia struggled with growing its population numbers and has tried several interventions. One of the population boosting policies is called the baby bonus, a monetary infusion given to families who birth or adopt a child. At its core, it's another economic incentive to try to boost fertility uh, in making, you know, child rearing and, and you know, having large families, less of a, a burden. The baby bonus started as a short-lived payment of roughly $10 per child in late 1912. Almost 100 years later, in 2002, it was resurrected. The government in the mid-2000s was uh, really uh, embarking on a lot of what came to be described as, as middle-class welfare. Government handouts in response to particular policy problems and, you know, fertility rates was one of those. By 2004, families would receive a lump sum of about $4,000 per newborn. Then the amount went down, then back up again, and then in 2014, it was cut altogether. Salisbury's son, the oldest of two, is 15. He was born during the baby bonus era. And we happily accepted the bonus. It was definitely welcome at the time. Their daughter was born three years later after the bonus had decreased. In hindsight, I, I don't think it played any part in our decision to have a second child. Australia's total fertility rate rose in between 2001 and 2008 to just under the necessary replacement numbers. But globally, most developed countries experienced an uptick in birth rates during that time, including ones that didn't offer a bonus. It's probably fair to say many voters uh, love the idea of cash handouts but I'm not convinced that it's necessarily the right response. Salisbury said that a better intervention was paid parental leave, and it's not perfect either. You know, there's a, there's a gender inequality wrapped up in that kind of initiative too, um, that it focuses on, on women who've been slow to extend the same kind of leave provisions to uh, fathers or to same-sex couples. So while incentivizing parents to have children doesn't seem to work, forcing fertility has not proven successful either. In the 1970s, Romania wanted to increase its population to increase their number of workers. Nicolae Ceausescu ruled communist Romania in the second half of the 20th century. When the population replacement rate in his country slipped, he instituted strict anti-abortion laws and taxes on childlessness to increase the fertility rate and the population. Romania's version of, of increasing their fertility 
rate was actually coercive. Gail Kligman is a professor of sociology at UCLA. Coercive policies are not productive. What happens is the birth rate goes straight up, right? Almost doubles. When people start to have time to adjust to this, guess what starts to happen? Not surprisingly, the birth rate starts to go down. Every time they instituted a set of more repressive laws to try to address this, the birth rate, you'd see a bump. And you would see after that the, the steady decline. I asked Kligman to compare these policies to the interventions in Australia and America. It's very difficult to compare what was a one-party communist regime and a command economy against a at least purportedly democratic society predicated on, on a capitalist economy. I mean, it's, it's not exactly comparable. Even so, one thing still applies, says Kligman. Women who want or need an abortion are always going to seek ways to have one. And that results in increased maternal mortality. More than half the number of women having abortions are already mothers. Think about what those consequences are for those children. So what's a policy that has been proven to increase a country's fertility rate and population numbers? For that, we return to Chris Salisbury in Australia. He returns to a time after World War II when Australia opened its borders in order to boost its economics and to provide for the national defense. After the Second World War, there were still fears of uh, you know, Japanese military aggression. That prompted uh, federal government figures to finally kind of open up the, the, the doors of overseas immigration to Australia to try to boost our population um, and just helping the, the post-war economic regrowth, really. Now, migration has been kind of a great backbone of uh, economic growth. But after 9-11, he said, immigration came under scrutiny. Um, and that's where this whole resorting to, to natural population increase through an increased birth rate began to appear on the horizon. And I think that speaks to just how emotive an issue uh, immigration still is here in Australia, as you know, I'm sure it is in the States. I hope that Australia and America and, and other prosperous nations, both Western and otherwise, don't use this as a, an excuse. Start demonising those who we've, we've tried to you know, bring into our, our circles past few decades, largely successfully. For BU News Service and WTBU, I'm Daphne Mark.